Welcome to the Time Machine. Experience the cancer journey through the eyes of the traveler. Welcome back to the Time Machine. This is Don Corcoran. This very special episode is dedicated to Rosa Nice, loving wife, mother, grandmother, and co-founder of Wake Up Lace Up in Miles City, Montana. Wake Up Lace Up has helped hundreds of families on their cancer journey and will be hosting the ninth annual Wake Up Lace Up live auction on Saturday, March 7th. Doors open at 5.30 at the Town & Country Club in Miles City. With that said, I'm honored to introduce my good friend, Buddy Nice, as he shares with us the cancer journey through the eyes of a son. Well, let's do this. Let's get started. Okay. Um, so, buddy, niece, welcome to the Time Machine. Excited to have you. Uh, I think the best way to start is maybe how we met. Uh-huh. So, we were introduced through um, Randy the Macho Man Savage. <laughs> uh, Christmas party, big segue. Yeah, like- so not personally, but through an... Through a uh, impersonation, yeah. and so I saw your impersonation, and it was fantastic. I was a huge Macho Man fan. So then I saw you in the aluminum room, I believe it was, at Big Sky. Okay, and you had come in. I was sitting with uh, Jessica. It was a lunch or something that just happened, and I mentioned it, and I kind of gave you, a, you know, kudos for that. And then you came over and mentioned we. So we had a conversation. That's how we met. Mm-hmm. You talked about. Your hair and that you were donating to wake right. up lace up because I just thought you were just you know crazy. <laughs> <laughs> now I used to have hair down way down the middle of my back, you know, you know, in the '90s. So like I was not offended by the long hair, but I noticed it, and so I thought you're just a hippie like I was. But you actually had a purpose. Yeah, and, and it was tough to keep my hair like that because my whole childhood, my dad's like, "You need a haircut." That's what I and got. You need to shave. And I was like, so to get to grow it out, I got to rebel a little. Yes. Well, that was funny because. I just, you know, when I heard the story behind it, I was impressed and moved by it. And point of contact, my wife and I, our company, decided to follow you to Mile City to the Wake Up Lace Up event and to watch where you get your hair cut and your nostril mm-hmm. hairs yeah. pulled and the whole the whole thing in donating money for that event. So, um, And you guys helped promote it too, which was great because that got out and contacted a whole bunch of people which benefited the Wake Up and Lace Up a lot. Well, that was so. We were excited to be a part of it, and we'll, I was talking to Cindy about this too. And I was so moved by the environment and the people and the community that came together, and you know, to watch all of that happen. And I remember just being so impressed. My kids were there, and thinking what a beautiful you know environment it was, and what a the just the culture of the event. And then um, you know, unbeknownst to me at the time, I actually was it had cancer and was undiagnosed with MDS form of blood cancer so I was in the in that little tribe without even knowing it and so um I feel like I felt a real connection to it before and now especially because you know the impact um I don't know if you know this but um when we went to Seattle for our first uh doctor's appointment there which is where I will go for my transplant um, wake up lace up helped us and gave us money to travel even though we're not technically in the area that mm-hmm. they service so um wake up lace up has been you know um 
huge help to us too. So we've been able to feel the impact, not only the community, but then also what they do. So I think that would be a great way to start is maybe to um, talk about wake up, lace up your mother specifically, you know, and mm-hmm. then diagnosis and kind of how all of that came. And I think one of the important things to note in that is wake up, lace up isn't just about helping cancer patients. It's, it's they help people with all sorts of medical issues. Sometimes it, they help people that are just down on their luck, that have just had a tough go at it. And so it's not just that. It's um, uh, <laughs> it's they, they, they generally just want to help people. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's um, mothers that maybe they can't afford car seats. Maybe they had triplets or something, and they're just all of a sudden shocked with this big expense of triple the diapers, triple the car seats, triple the clothes, triple the food, everything. Yeah. And they want to help. And maybe the, one of those kids gets sick. And so they want to help with those um, expenses that they can. Well, I'm not surprised by that. I didn't know that. I thought it was, you know, specifically for for cancer and for, for the people that were traveling with that. And like I said, not surprised that they would open it to even more mm-hmm. because that just, you could feel that at the event. Yeah. So can you give us maybe the origin of, of Wake Up, Lace Up, uh, you know, your mom, her diagnosis and... Uh-huh. and so... Uh... The specifics might not be very exact, but they're, uh, I'd have to consult my sister on the specifics, but I can get her pretty close. Uh, how, it, how it started was uh, my mother was diagnosed in December of 2008 with ovarian cancer. And through her uh, experience with uh, the treatments and the travel, and she would, she loved to speak with people. And, and she would see that these people were just struggling at the infusion center worrying about how they're going to get back home or uh, they had mentioned well this will be my only meal for today at the infusion center because they're essentially broke from their disease and uh, that she wanted to make a difference about that she thought why would people who are already burdened with a sickness have to be burdened anymore with worrying about something as petty as food and so uh, and Cindy Reed uh, was also struggling with not struggling, but battling with her cancer as well. And uh, I can't recall what hers is right offhand. But anyhow, they're they're both in the same boat, boat, and they both wanted to make a difference. And so they decided, let's do a fundraiser. Let's make a difference. And it started out, I can't recall, that first year. They promoted it um, through the Mouse City Star. Um, they were helped a, a ton with promoting it in Custer County. And in that first year, that very first event... They raised tens of thousands of dollars. I, I can't recall, but it was it was substantial enough that they 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 were reaching out to place um I think March of Dimes or the American Cancer Society maybe I don't recall which and they they said no nah, we don't typically deal with small town stuff and then word got back to that with larger organization that hey a small town just raised thirty thousand dollars in a day and they called and. And uh, it was a tribute to my mother. She's like, uh, no thanks. I think we got this on our own now. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> and and they've ran with it. And so that's, I can't remember the year it was established. I'd have to, if I would, I'd guess I'd say 2009, possibly 10. But every year since then, it has just grown more and more and more. Some years are better than others, but uh, always raising money and helping it's always been moving forward 
You know, when I talked to Cindy, she mentioned, I forget the exact date, March of this year. Do you know the date that the... It's usually the second or third weekend in March that they do it. And 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 there's a couple other events that are that same first part of March that they uh, try to all work together with. There's a couple other uh, fundraising projects there, and they try not to compete with each other. Um, They're very respectful of each other. Um, One of them is called Aaron's Hope Project, uh, which I... I like following that one as well. Uh, but then they just respect each other. They each help each other. They, they say, no, this is your weekend. We don't want to intrude on that. And they say, nope, that's wake up slate weekend. It's yeah. not, um, it's, and I can't recall. It's a second or third weekend though. Well, I do know it's, in March. it's early March mm-hmm. and uh, at least I, I believe it's early March. So we'll, we'll put that um, in a tagline or something. But the, um, I guess uh, I noticed the family environment your kids were there. My kids were there. And so one thing I've learned about about the cancer journey is how many people are affected outside of yourself. You know, my kids go to the infusion center with me quite often. You know, they they get a, to interact and be up there and you realize how many people are affected um, by it. So how how was um, how were you, you affected? How were your kids affected um, when you got diagnosis? And then also, I think would be interesting to yep. hear is what happened like during treatment and how you handled that. Uh, if, it, if people tell you they're not affected by a loved one getting cancer, they're full of beans. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I think at first it's probably very similar to everyone. It's, oh no, I'm dying. And then uh, they once they grasp what's happening, they... For me, anyhow, I was as well. Uh, could you look at this from the negative? Which I I don't like negative things, so um, I tend to try to lean towards positive. And I thought, well, you know what? This is a new lease on life. Um, things I wanted to say to my mom, I said. Things I wanted to do with my mother, I did. And then every day forward that I got to spend with my mom was the best. I mean, it was just another day, and um, it. Yeah, to affect me, yes, it it did, and and I tried to be at every single one of those treatments, and so she passed away in fifteen, and from eight, so it was seven years, and I don't know, I don't know how many, a lot, <laughs> <laughs> it, as you can relate, mm-hmm. it, they they go on and on and on, and uh, I'm gonna guess like fifty treatments, maybe more, maybe a hundred. I don't know. It was a lot, so it was. Three months at a time, uh, once a week, and so, and some then, and each regiment was different. But I, I was at every single one, um, with the exception of maybe one, and uh, and I just felt it was important to be there. I might not have been there from start to finish on a six or an eight hour in transfusion, but uh, but I was there, and I wanted her to know that I supported her, and that if she needed anything from me. She just needed to say, "I need something from you." And yeah, whether it been ice cream or uh, or just my company, I wanted to do it. So, yeah, we've had you know, 119 infusions so far. Cause everyone's different. You know, mine's seven days on. You know, um, or I do seven days, three weeks off, seven days. You know, some people will come in once a week or once every two months, or and and the duration is is different. But I've never, and I've had you know what four now i'm in my fourth bone marrow biopsy i've never been alone now i could 
do a little, you know, I'm pretty resilient, but my wife won't allow me to ever go up by myself. I'm like, I'm fine. And so it's interesting. She'll either be there or she'll make sure someone's there. And I appreciate that. I don't, um, it's not, I appreciate it. It's funny. I don't know that I, I need it. Meaning if they weren't there, I would be just fine. But there's something about the support and I know it goes both ways. So it's different for me because I'm there. But I, I don't really know. I see it through my eyes of someone that's, you know, being treated. And I feel like it's easier for me than it is for those watching. And so for that reason, with her coming or doing that, I understand that. So I guess, what was it like for you when you went to the Infusion Center? And what was your experience with with it? And with, For me, going into the Infusion Center first, uh, I think her doctor's name was Gibb. And, and he had a nurse... I don't recall her name, but she was a total kick in the pants, man. She made those patients feel important. Even the people that are visiting. If, if Like when I was sitting with my mom, this this lady would come and, and uh, how are you doing, Rose? And he need anything. And, and then they'd chat about something. They'd get to know each other quite well, actually. And, uh, and to be a part of that made me feel included. And uh, they'd ask whoever's sitting there, who are you and want to know their their story um, but one of the other things i noticed as i went into these places uh, was there were some people that were there without any people to speak with and and i and i felt kind of sorry for them because i thought god do they not have anyone that says you're not going through this alone and to think to imagine that maybe there's some people that are and not maybe i'm almost sure of it yep. that's really sad and i wanted uh my mom to know that you're not at this alone. Uh, either I was there, or my dad was there, or my sister was there. Um, sometimes aunt was there, some of my mom's friends from time to time. But what was important to me was that she was never alone. Yep. And uh, and if she was ever alone, it wasn't for very darn long, because it would be like I'd be on my way, or whatever she needed. But I just wanted to make sure she knew that she was supported, you know, and... <laughs> You don't know what you're doing. It, I, was I doing what would I do? Was it helping? I hope so. I don't know, but I felt like I was doing something at least. You know? It it does. I in you know if you. I just have had so much support surrounding me with family that I wouldn't know how to speak to it never being there, and because it was just always there, and so. It's felt for sure. You know we you know we make we make it an event. We have fun with it and enjoy it and. I try to talk to as many patients as I can that are willing to and the nurses I mean we're all friends now we've you know been up there so much and they're fantastic so um I actually I call it the spa <laughs> and and you know they and the thing is they'll come up and they'll give you you know the warm blankets and the hot cocoa or whatever but I like to get it myself so I'm always thank you because I don't want them to have to run extra errands and I like to move around mm-hmm. so um you know, I always call it the spa because they take such good care of you. And, and we're in there for shorter durations, about two hours. So I'm just kind of getting settled in and they're, you know, telling me it's time to go. But um, <laughs> I, lo- I love the Infusion Center. I think it's it's a fantastic place and what they do. But there's definitely, I did notice uh, people that, you know, either were alone or didn't seem, you, you can feel a heaviness at times. And uh, that was something that, I felt when I first came in and I, I didn't, 
I didn't want to succumb to. And so we made a conscious effort to say... I'm curious if I would... Sorry to interrupt. I'm curious if it would be like the new kid in school. The first time you went in. What's happening in here? Am I sitting in the right chair? Yep. Um, yep. This place is new and strange. and Yep. And then after half dozen treatments, just an old hat. Yes. When you go into the bathroom and then they tell you to flush multiple times because of, you know, you have to you flush twice because of the chemo. And the little things like that is what I remembered first and the smell. And it's interesting you brought that up because the other day I was in getting an infusion and there was a, guy, a gentleman next to me with, I believe he has MDS as I do. I, th- I believe that's what it was. And he was getting, you know, uh, through the vein so we didn't have a port, so I should have known right away that it was most likely he was new. And, uh, you know, they they said a few things, and, and I was kind of, because we just have so much fun, I'm kind of, hey, how's it going, you know? And and it took me a little bit to realize that this was new, like he was the new kid. Because when I asked, and it was like, this was the first, or I think it was the first or second infusion and so I had to go back to, you know, 18 months before to realize how I felt that first time. And so I realized that you don't get a handbook when you come in. It's and, you know, you have all these thoughts of of your future and, uh, you, you know, what little time you may have or you may have treatment that can, you know, that may give you extended time. So interesting because he was you know probably in his mid 50s or 60 but i bet he felt like that schoolboy. and i thought of that later so i kind of circled back around and chatted with him the next time and realized that that first time because now i felt like the old vet like i know what's up here's the deal i can show you around crazy don again yeah yeah (laughs) um but it is and and i don't know if that stays with people you know we because you know the first few times it was very strange to walk into a Cassie said, this is our new normal. And, you know, you, you definitely have, you can see the people that are being treated that maybe, you know, there's some people, different levels of, of illness and where they're at in their journey. And so it definitely can bring a awareness of how short time can be. Yeah. And I'm, I think I'm afraid some, some of those patients are, maybe they're on round 10 and their numbers because they're watching their numbers so close they know they're not where they're supposed to be and there's got to be times when you can tell they're sad just because is round 10 not working no more yeah and then the options are only only a few things different drug or stop the drugs Mm -hmm. with my mom one of them was working great she ended up being allergic to it that was the major blow and we had, had to stop that treatment and it was it was killing her cancer, but she the the drug was killing her as quick as the cancer was. So was she having side effects from it? Yeah, re- allergic reactions. Um, uh, when I was there, I was there on one of that that particular one, and I just remember her, her blood pressure was just dropping extremely quick, and mm-hmm. they had to they were stuffing Benadryl, I believe it was, in the the IV. She was doing IVs and. Boy, and it was it was scary. And they're like, "Well, we can't do this again." And the, you know, the treatment got canceled for the day. And of course, something that's working, and you cancel it. Yeah, you're like, "Well, we can't cancel it." Yep. Well, yeah, you had to, and they went a different route, uh, but it wasn't nearly as effective as effective as what what she was taking. And was and, your who was the 
the person in the family that was most kind of dialed in with the doctors was that your That's mom <laughs> my mom was sister? definitely dialed in and like did she know all the terminology and followed and tracked the numbers her, and do all yes that? my mom was dialed in but my sister coach Corey, <laughs> uh so she's a radiology tech and knows her medicine pretty well uh and so she would get on and ask questions that only another doctor would ask and oh i never would have thought of that you know and so Corey was definitely coaching from the background and and my sister still to this day calls my dad every single morning at like seven o'clock and he she did that with my mom probably three times a day so uh, which is kind of funny because now my aunt had to step into that role and and my my aunt my mom are very similar so uh orly is definitely feeling filling a void that my mom had, had left behind so but yeah, Corey, Corey knew her, th- her stuff um, and helped coach mom and dad on the proper things to ask and what to be aware of and side effects. And if it's this side effect, then what? Then Or this? What about this thing? Which normal people would never think to answer, mm-hmm. ask. And the doctors usually seem to humor her quite well. You'd get the impression once in a while they're like, yes, I thought of that. I too went to medical school. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> but you have to ask. At least, Absolutely. At least you feel gratified that they at least considered your your question yes and to have an advocate is so important i'm lucky and i wonder you know my wife is has been you know part of all all of the all of the doctor's uh, appointments and when we see dr fabrigas and he's great he'll i'll come and sit down and he'll ask me how you feeling how you doing can the pleasantries doing great feel great okay Cassidy, and then he'll talk to her directly, <laughs> or he'll call me on the phone and say, "How you doing?" I'm good, and he goes, "Is Cassidy there?" I'm like, "Yes, okay, Cassidy." And then he talks to her because she's always taking notes and she's on it. And it's been a, it's you know, what's nice about it is numbers are important, but they're not important to me. They're important for other people because I can't make you know if it comes to a decision I need to make, you know, give me the information then. But I learned that for my journey that I need to stay healthy. I need to stay mentally positive and strong. Absolutely. And so if I hear a number and it's supposed to be bad, I would feel, I'd feel it. And I realize I don't feel any different than when I had my platelets were at 78,000. And then when they're at 19,000, I feel no difference anywhere in between. So they're like, oh, you're up or oh, you're down. You could feel the emotional kind of pull. And so I just try to stay as, uh, I don't, I try to focus on what I can control, which is is being calm and being positive. And, and so the numbers are important, but it's been nice that Cassidy kind of monitors and, and I think it helps her to know. And so I'm not ignorant, but I'm not, you know, I've, I've not spent the time to, to, dive into things that are are, are going to stress me out I, th- I truly believe that through a positive attitude you could heal yourself much more efficiently than through a negative doom and gloom attitude um i don't think you can necessarily will something away yeah. but i think you can put yourself in such a state that you invite it yep. and uh and that's how i approach a lot of things in my life is through positivity <laughs> there's a silver line in everything so what if you Something 
negative happens, what is the positive of the negative? Yes. And that's what you should focus on. Because if you keep focusing on the negative all the time, who wants to be around yeah. negativity? Really? Yeah. I don't. I can feel the energy drain out of me when I think that way. When I think, oh no, that number's, I'm supposed to worry. And so any anxiety, fear, worry, I just don't, I don't give it any, yeah. any place. You because... stop feeding your body. Uh, you know, you get anxious. You don't eat. You don't drink. You... Yeah. Um, how was your mom? How was her, her mindset throughout? Was How was she as far as... It was great. Um, although I'm sure there were some conversations that were... And that was the other thing. I'm 150 miles away. So uh, I, they'd stay with... And I can't recall. I think it was once a month. She had, would get like 16 treatments at a time. And I don't mm. recall if it was... I think it was once a month. Or every three weeks is what it was. Every three weeks she'd get a treatment. So sometimes I'd get her stay with us twice a month and mom and dad had come up the night before and prepare themselves for whatever it was whether it be a scan or surgery or maybe it was just treatment but she, they'd always come the night before we'd have dinner um maybe go to a movie but just i'd get to reconnect with my mom and dad and sadly through cancer but but at least i got to do, make that connection and uh and she was always pretty positive throughout the whole time spending time with their grandchildren spoiling them rotten thanks mom <laughs> and uh, uh how old were your boys during this when she was diagnosed oh, some, and through that process i have some great pictures of of she always had a hack she lost her hair each time and uh, she had some great wigs but anyhow uh my boys were would have been uh like three years old and five years old and so and then it's for seven years so then like uh, logan my mom is at five years now logan would have been just an infant would have been two-ish when my mom was diagnosed and then yeah up to up to seven or eight and uh but extremely positive and outgoing up and up to the end to where her body was just starting to break down and uh which was Really, only about the last eight weeks that you could tell she was deteriorating and, and fast. And, and has, so, just she passed away February 28th. And for me and my wife's 10th anniversary, wedding anniversary, we went to Mexico. And my mom wanted us to go, but she was also worried that she was going to die and didn't want me to be gone when, she, mm-hmm. when it happened. And so, I uh, call her. We're in Mexico and and it's about a month before she passes away and uh, we know she's sick but it's it's not like tomorrow type of sick thing yet and I call her we're gonna leave Mexico and I contact her every day while I was in Mexico and finally I said all right we're getting ready to head back to uh, America tomorrow and and uh, getting packed and she started crying she said oh I'm so glad you're coming back and which made me like what's going on and she says I just want you back home mm-hmm. and I kind of remember crying over on the phone and I'm like I'm coming back mom I'll be there tomorrow and when I came back and we landed and that day I drove straight to Mount City and seen my mom and uh it was like seeing someone that I hadn't seen in 15 years you know uh I mean that that the embrace that that I got to have and uh I was like I'm here mom and and then I realized that it was close and it was Five weeks later, she passed away. But uh, and up until the end, it, she 
really didn't want people to know how sick she was. She was always had a crazy wig, whether it be a spiked parrot wig or a, my black hair one day and blonde the next. And she definitely kept you on her toes what she might wear at any point. You didn't, you had to wave at everybody that looked like your mom because it might be her. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Um, but yeah, she was pretty positive throughout the whole thing, but also realistic. The number, she was stage four when she was diagnosed. So, oh wow. So it was, uh, it wasn't good. Yeah. And, uh, and she managed almost seven years. I keep saying that, but to me, that's a big deal because yeah. people who don't, I don't want to say fight because it makes it sound like if they, yeah, if they use the term fight and then they, they pass away that they weren't fighting hard enough, but that's not what I meant. But through positivity and consistency, seven more years. Yeah. And I'm glad her every single day of them. Yep. So when when we went in, you know, first I was given the first inkling of it was live in the present was, you know, what I was told, you know, like, what, <laughs> you know, what does that mean? And so before I had, you know, before we went and, and got the, you know, diagnosis, I had just seen other, I had, there was an instance of someone with similar, you know, um, issues that I had symptoms and they were given a couple months to live. And so in my head, I just braced for that. I thought, okay, I might only have a couple months. And so when we went in and they, you know, he talked about prolonging life extension, you know, he said, and he said, if you're in this range, you know, we can look at, you know, treatment that can go, you know, extend to five, three to five years. And then here would be two years and then here would be, you know, and so it came back where he, I think we'd been tested twice, but I kind of was in the three to five range, but then later I got this. So I was like, yes. Like, cause I was thinking two months. I'm like, yes. Like, cause I'm thinking my kids, I'm thinking, you know, three and I'm going, okay, if I can get five more years with, you know, a three or four year old, um, then, then he'll know. Yeah. And so I was thinking in those terms and then, we kind of got the callback later of my numbers with the with the new test was kind of dropped to the you know the two year range, and as I throw these numbers out, Cassie will always come in. Well, this actually means this. Um, I just know in my head when I was hearing what he was saying, you know, life extension without a transplant, you know, that's what you're looking at, and then the transplant could, you know, be, you know, life extension for longer, but you may die in that. So. I was doing the math of years, months, and I actually had this thought of, you know, would I take a guaranteed two years right now if I could say, job. here you go, <clears throat> the shell game, 20 years, you know, or two, I'll give you the two right now, that might be possible. Like, I would have these thoughts because, you know, I I was negotiating time in a way to go, how how will I spend the last time that I have giving my kids what I need to give them? So when I hear seven years, I th- I I hear that maybe different than others because I'm like, you know, when I was thinking two months and then two years and then maybe five, like seven, I'd be like, yes, like I can, you know, my boy will be, you know, 10, my youngest. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting hearing it from the other side of, of time because you definitely. And and so Logan was really young. So if, if my mom would have passed away in that first year, Logan would have never probably remembered his grandma and 
because we she stayed for another seven till he was seven ish. I wish I knew the exact numbers, but I don't. But he was old enough that he to this day still says, "You remember how Nana used to do that? Oh, look at that! Nana would have loved this store because it's got all sorts of expensive stuff in it." And my mom couldn't go buy a sales rack without shopping it, <laughs> and and he knew that. I love it. By if he, they were going anywhere, my mom seen something, boy, she was taking them shopping was, with her. And so and just the unique things that they remember of Nana. And and sometimes, uh, so they're getting old enough to where I'm starting to get on the anti-stuffed animal wagon. I'm like, you're 13, you don't need a stuffed animal. <laughs> <laughs> Nana wanted to let me out with a stuffed animal. Uh, I'm like, stop using my mother yeah. against me. <laughs> oh, low blow. Good one, though. Effective. <laughs> effective put it in the cart exactly (laughs) well i thought about that with my youngest especially because i thought well he won't remember me because he's you know three he's five just turned five so he was i think right still three at the time and and so i I had those thoughts well he won't remember me because i looked back and, and thought what did i remember from three and four so i was negotiating time a little bit that way too going you know the older ones will at least remember me and so it's funny how the uh, how the negotiation of time works when you're sitting in the seat, you know. Mm-hmm. And what's most valuable to you, you know? Well, it's the it's the cheapest thing in the world. It's it's a stupid ice cream cone that stained your seat in your pickup that you'll never sell because the stain reminds it reminds you of your mom or your son or whichever. It's that simple, the simple stuff that keeps us going what are the what are the things you remember most about your mom what are the oh gosh you know the the funniest thing by far was probably after she passed away and i seen her belt collection and that's one of the funniest things because which reminded me of how every time i seen her i don't think i ever seen her in the same piece of clothing more than once and so one of my things that i guess would have to be her hair her hair was always done up uh styled and in, in some way and sometimes a little loud and uh and always like dressed to the nines she was always just very self-conscious of how she looked and was presented and so one of my i guess my biggest things would be her her smile with a crooked tooth and uh which i don't think I ever bothered her she didn't care about her tooth maybe she did but she liked her clothes more. I don't know. <laughs> so it'd have to be be that. And probably my earliest member, memory of my mom is we, me and my sister were going to a swimming pool. And, we, and they had this old, like, two-door Ford LTD type of a car in the hideous blue with a white vinyl seat interior. And I remember going to the swimming pool in this car with like no air conditioning and sticking uh-huh. to the to the seat or having to put the towel down before you got in the car, you know, and then just whining about the car, getting this car to be like two hundred degrees hotter than the sun when you got in there, go to a swimming pool, you know. Yeah. And that was probably one of my earliest memories. And so car, clothing. And then the one that always sticks sticks with me is when we had to clean out her closet. Her closet was bigger than this room. <laughs> and and a clothes rack. The whole thing was high and low clothing, chock full, completely full. And the belt rack, though, was hilarious. There was probably 150 belts on this belt rack. Love it. And 
that's what I mean. Was she couldn't go buy a sales rack without stopping because she wouldn't wear the same thing twice. What do you miss the most <laughs> about your mom? Uh, probably what she used to do with my kids. Uh, she really enjoyed grandkids, all of them. And so my sister has three kids and we have two and I can almost hear her telling my dad, we're going to see in the grandbabies. Yeah. And he'd be like, oh, I want to work. Because <laughs> <laughs> my dad works a lot. Yeah. And uh, not so much now, but. He retired, didn't he? Yep. He re- retired and got a job. <laughs> again. Again, for the second um, time. And Stupid, uh, sexy work ethic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'd, I'd have to say it was just, she's just really outgoing with the kids. I miss that the most. Yeah. Um, watching her have fun. She she would play with the kids like a thirty year old, you know. Sometimes more energy than me, and I'm like, "How do you do it, mom?" She says, "I could spoil them and leave." Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm like, oh, "Okay, you think I'm sending them back?" Yeah, that's the memories. Those are the things that it's funny when when you get diagnosed with something. You, I mean, everything kind of crystallizes to what's important. And it's always, it comes so simple. It's time with people you care about. Mm-hmm. Everything else is secondary. And so what what did you learn about life in the cancer journey with your mom? Um, I'd have to say don't take anything for granted. You know, if there's something that you think, oh, I really should do this then you probably really should do that. Uh, yeah, if, if there's an opportunity or a moment that, that you see in, in uh, that maybe, so let's say uh, someone's hurt or sad emotionally and you can step in and give that person a hug, but you don't, then the moment passes. And then you think later, wow, you know, I, I really could have just reached out and touched them. Yeah. And said, it's all right. But you didn't. Yeah. And in those moments of getting the news, whether it be good or bad or just news, that you need to, if there was some way you needed to react, you should do it. Don't, if, if you feel it in your heart, act on it and do it. That's, That's what I would say. Because if you don't, that moment's gone. It's good. Never getting it again. Yeah, I think um, I've noticed the cancer journey can teach a lot of lessons through life, treatment. What um, what kind of lessons do you think you may have ascertained from death and looking, watching that process of going through losing someone? Are there things there that... It's kind of funny how I've seen it a few times now in the last uh, five or eight years, more than a few how you can really judge a situation by just what you remember about it. Um, my wife's dad just passed away a few weeks ago now. And, uh, I recall a month or so before his diagnosis or he passed away. I went and seen Joey and I thought, nah, Joey's going to be around a while. He just, he just tell you, just look at him and you're like, Oh, he looks healthy. No, he, he ain't dying. He was terminal at that point. Uh, we knew we were going to lose him, but we didn't know when. And uh, the six months was kind of the timeline type of a thing. And uh, and then something happens a few weeks later. 
and I go see Joe, and, I, and I'm like, no, doctor, buddy, right? Because I've seen it so many times. Yeah. So I feel like an idiot after just saying that, but I, I'm like, no, he's not dying yet. You guys are jumping the gun. Uh, not to mean don't say goodbye or don't hug your dad or anything yeah. like that. I just tell him, like, nope. And then two days later, I go, and I was like, wow. You guys need to be here because yeah. I've seen this before, and it's like days or hours and I was right it was one day and it moved in when when death is on your doorstep you're gonna know it it's there's no question so I don't even remember what got me on that tangent I I asked you (laughs) about death specifically oh yeah god and and uh to be able to tell that about someone it's really creepy really for me i don't want to know that but you do yeah you know you look healthy <laughs> you look pretty good don yeah. and i'm and i'm super proud of you I don't know so give me your prognosis how long yeah. do i got oh, you got a while you got a while <laughs> you're good you're good Good. thank you yep, you're gonna have a whole summer of uh baseball and, and soccer whichever sports you got whatever you so take it in all right i, I like that <laughs> yeah so but yeah it's just being around death a lot sometimes makes you do feel weird it, uncomfortable sometimes even it is and it's it's interesting when somebody like famous dies kobe bryant died and you see this outpouring of from people that maybe knew him as a you know followed him and as an athlete and really were moved by you know and inspired by him but then there's those that didn't really know him he's just but they're still i mean i was even and maybe because I'm walking through this journey where, where you know, I don't know how long I have, that I do notice when certain people die, it resonates a little more because it's more immediate to you. But I think everybody has that. I think when somebody, when somebody dies, you know, like say young, like Kobe, I think it it it, it becomes like a mirror for them, where all of a sudden they have to realize that there will come a, da- a day that they will encounter that with their family you know people they love themselves i i don't want to sound unempathetic for kobe bryant because I, I i really feel sorry for his family that lost him what one of the things that bothers me with with him passing is there's five other people in that helicopter yeah and i haven't heard a word about any of them yeah they and actually i think today's started putting pictures out after God, i hope so because i was I'd, I'd heard that and i was like aren't there other people on that helicopter yeah um, their lives matter too. Yeah, and and that's what I find interesting. I had a a friend I was talking to that was you know a big fan you know through his whole life and and um, we were kind of discussing it and I think what's also interesting about that is it doesn't matter how much money you have, doesn't matter how many accolades you have and what you've achieved. And and he was you know kind of that superhuman kind of athlete that, but you know life is a gift and it's short and it can be taken at any time, no matter, yep. you know, you know what you, what you have. And so I think that part of, of the, what I'm interested in is how people react to that, especially to someone they don't know. And I, you know, I agree there was other people in that. So that's, uh, you know, to me, the first thought would be that the daughter, because that's such, you know, she's so young, you know, but it's interesting how people will be immediately affected by death but then a few days they'll be able to process and then 
Are we surprised? What's that? <laughs> I gotta write this down or I'm gonna lose my train of thought. Because what yeah. you're saying is, yeah. is making me think. They're always, um, everyone's always surprised by death, it seems, and shocked by it. But it happens all the time. There's 7 billion people on the planet. And 100 years from now, there'll just be a handful of them around, possibly, those that make it to their 100. And so it's so immediate, it happens to all of us. Um, but people are, I think we're wired in a way that we don't, we don't think that way. So when they do happen and something, you know, that is kind of more universal, a, a figure that everybody can go, oh, can you believe that? You know, young, it's really, they're facing mortality themselves is what I think. They're looking inwardly to realizing, hey, this loss resonates because it could be me. Um, I think there's an element to that. And if, and if that affects you, uh, you can do something about how that affects you. And so what I wrote down was legacy. So what did Kobe Bryant leave behind? A daughter, but he left this big legacy, these pretty big shoes to fill. He's an yeah. excellent athlete, but uh, he was starting uh, some company of some sort that was growing quite fast. So that's a legacy that he was building. My mom, her legacy ended up being wake up and lace up, uh, helping others. Um, I don't, I don't know if I think they had to force her to, to take, to let wake up and lace up help her because they were like, nope. She's like, I wanted to help other people. And, yeah. And I'm not sure if if she took anything or not, but she'd have been out of it that she didn't. I know. Yeah. And, uh, but. You, you're you're leaving this legacy behind these stories. I, I got to watching your um, what were they? The point of impact. There were three stories, and I watched two of them last night because the first one was so good. I had to watch the second one. I love my yard. Was the first yeah. one. Um, and time machine, mm-hmm. and I love my yard. Those those two I watched last night, and the stories are an excellent storyteller, and and it's making people think, and it's not the story wasn't about. The, the damn yard <laughs> it was about yeah. your life yeah. and i wanted to tease cassidy about mama hoppity or whatever yeah, mama hopper <laughs> mama hopper yeah i was gonna yeah. try to get her to laugh about that i thought it'd be funny yeah. um but the stories and uh what you're leaving behind you the memories your kids are gonna have are gonna be great um just because of what you're what you're teaching not only your kids but people around you that see how you're saying this is how I'm going to deal with my cancer journey. Yeah. And I'm not going to let it define me. I'm going to define it. And uh, I will come on my own terms and leave on my own terms. So I think that's amazing. I applaud you for that. Well, I appreciate it. It's, I think um, some things choose you and some things are divinely appointed. When I get the diagnosis, I had not been a... I'd never told stories like that. I'd told kid stories I have stories I would tell my kids before bed and I would just make up characters and tell them stories and then you know sort of recording them so they would have them and so with the diagnosis when I get diagnosis I saw a thing about story night Montana gallery and I decided to go and when I went I had no idea the format how they did things and then when I saw it, I thought, oh, I think I have, and I had some ideas because I'd been in my yard working on, on that and with diagnosis. But then I wasn't, I was a little unsure too to go, you know, does this fit this format or do people want to hear this? And, and so that first time I told, told that story, it just fit. And I realized that some things kind of choose you that I 
had it not been for diagnosis, that would have never happened. And then now that's kind of like I've been equipped my whole life for that kind of forum. And I wouldn't have known. So I always I feel like cancer has been a gift to me. And and I have this when I when I say that, I always say this is I don't believe it's a gift to other people. For me personally, it's been a gift because there's so many things that have come out of it. And I think it's how you look at it, the positivity. I found platforms to to have discussions that I never would have before. And so I felt like some of those kind of chose me because the circumstances, you know, I, I had no aspirations to be a storyteller. And then after that first one, you know, had another and then another. And so it's kind of been the uh, the path that I've I've taken now and, and had not the diagnosis come, that wouldn't have happened. So um, I look at it that way, much like you do with, with your mom saying how much time you had with her and how, how great it was. You know, I, I see every day as a gift. So, you know, I, I look at the things that, you know, the diagnosis has brought to my family. Now, of course, there's heartache that comes with that. And if, if I, you know, if I, if, if my story doesn't, if it ends, you know, soon, of course, there's, you know, what's left behind. But um, I feel like I'm a man of faith. So to me, it, my days are numbered according to God's will. And, and I'm comfortable with that. And so if you truly believe that, then it would be crazy to say, yeah, yeah, but this is what I would like. You know, if I truly believe in a sovereign God <laughs> and that his will is perfect and he's all knowing and all powerful. And then I'm like, yeah, but, but let's do it this way. And who would Yeah. Yeah. Let's be honest. So, um, I really like your plan, God. Are you sure? Have you ever thought of this? <laughs> you ever thought about me not going yeah. this week? Yeah, it could be, you know, give me another 50 years and, and insane wealth. And, you know, <laughs> wouldn't that be good? Um, but, you know, it's it's an interesting walk that... And here here's the truth of the stories that I tell. I realized after that first story that the stories are about my journey, but they're not for me. It's a mirror for people to look into. And so... It's a great gift to be able to walk people through these scenarios and the stories come from my life, but they have very little to do with me and everything to do with the people listening because then they get a safely view and walk that uh, without actually being in the seat. But they might be in that seat next week. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's, you have made a difference. There are so many people that are embarking on this journey that you've, you've laid the the cobblestones down so they're like this is the path and you can come on it and you can go off it but a lot of people think myself anyhow you you're you're doing this journey with dignity with style and uh it doesn't have to be bad it's just a journey the journey is what you make of it yes it thank you for the kind words to me i see it you know, people will say, why me? And I'm like, why not me? Like, why someone else? Why not me? You know, because people, oh, I heard someone say that recently. That They said, this is something that happens to other people. You know, why is this happening to me? And and I always had that thought, well, why not me? Like, you know, this is, you know, this is a dangerous journey. And, and I'm, 
you get the cards you get and then you you know you you play them and so i just don't feel like i'm a victim or i'm a you know and plus i my diagnosis and and what i'm dealing with now came from a lifetime of addictions so i can point to the you reap what you sow you know and um even though it'd been 10 years since i'd been you know um an addict you know and i had been clean of that there's a life lesson in that too that you know you have those things that you did back then you there there is always a payment for past dues that's the reckoning i could relate a little i didn't i didn't quite abuse my my body internally quite like that but i did a bunch of reckless stuff like oh let's jump off this building that sounds like good yeah you know and and, all right i did it well five years later hey your all your discs are blown out of your back oh man yeah it wasn't the greatest idea and some of those might not have been under the right, (laughs) right state of mind either when i made those decisions but but paying for it now in my 40s i'm like oh man why did i treat my body like that yep yep yeah and it wasn't like there wasn't someone there telling us not to yes mom and dad yeah oh i i I made (laughs) i made um i made my decisions and i knew what i didn't know is where i'd be in life and how different my mindset would be from when i was you know 1920 my through my 20s when you know um i was doing every reckless thing i could do and you know wasn't that i didn't have a death wish but i was i walked that line as close as i i I could and i was very um didn't want to die but i I can see it from where i was standing yeah and in you know and there was a lot of stuff that came you know before that and a lot of pain and hurt so i was you know i used addictions were a way to to cover a lot of a lot of those things so there was it was reckless but you know, I didn't want to let people know that. I just wanted them to see. I was, you know, I was the madman that was, you know, crazy, reveling in it. But fun. but underneath it was was you know a lot of loss. You know, and I, I trace a lot of that back to not being able to, you know, have a have my father in my life and some of those things that are that you know you wish you had. And so it's one of the things that when I did get married and and have kids, I've designed my life to be around my kids and. So for me, when I got diagnosis, I didn't have to change really anything as far as, oh, I'm going to rearrange my life to be in, in my kid's life. You know, um, that was the fortunate part for me is that, that I was already spending time with my kids. I was already focusing on that. So um, there was a, I didn't have to kind of scurry to, you know, write some mm-hmm. of those things. So, um, but yeah, that was, that was a, a, a self-inflicted for me, you know, so I'm, I'm definitely not a victim. And so I can't play that card. I can't go, why me? Cause some people, you know, mm-hmm. can, they can go, well, this is unfair. And you know, um, positive or negative. Yeah. The negative is why me? The positive is what can I do with this? What can I do with it? Absolutely. Part of, you know, a lot, part of those decisions for me too, were, you know, I had to go, okay, I might not be here in three months or six months or a year. How do I want my How do I want my kids to remember that time? It's going to be a celebration. We're going to enjoy this. We're going to have fun with it, and I'm going to be you know unafraid, and we're going to do this as a family, you know, because I wanted them to. It's funny you realize that 
your time to give principles and lessons to them may be very short. So you don't want to miss any opportunity to, you know, I don't have time to. And there are some, if there are some wrongs, you can still write them. Yeah. You know, um, sometimes my parenting I, is, I'm the yeller for sure. I don't know why the neighbors haven't called DFS yet. Probably because I'll yell at them too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, um, so my son, we went skiing this past weekend and, uh, my youngest son is not very good at snowboarding and I've never snowboarded before. Um, and I told him on the way up the chairlift, I said, I won't leave you, buddy. I said, I said, if this goes badly or, or you need my help, I said, I am, I'll be there. I'm not going to leave. So don't worry. Cause I was worried about him getting scared on the mountain. Yeah. Well, he wasn't scared on the mountain. You took him an hour to get off of the thing <laughs> and if I, the longer and longer it took the more and more frustrated i was getting but yeah. i was inside my head i was like you're not a yeller today because i want to ski with him next weekend or yeah. next month or whenever i want him to do it again and i'll be got i'll be darned if uh we get down and he says dad i'm just gonna stay in the lodge rest of the day but i'd like to do it again and i was like yes yeah for two reasons i can ski now <laughs> and i'm gonna have opportunity to do this again <laughs> yeah 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 that's i'm i i tend to use i wouldn't say yeller i call it my daddy voice which is me yelling <laughs> and um you know one of the things i learned was just you know i've many times had to go before i put my kids to bed and then have the conversation about you know how'd you feel how'd you feel when daddy yelled at you not good it scare you yeah it scared me i'm sorry you know daddies make mistakes too they that's one thing they they know i was like you know daddies make mistakes too and i was wrong and if i was wrong for something that i tell them and i and i apologize and take ownership of it and that's um i know you know my dad had a few bad moments with me that really impacted my life and now being a dad you know, when I was young, I, you know, he's mythical and a hero. And so I see a different, even when I was 20 and he passed and it was 2021 20, and the anger I had at him in the, because of some of these moments. And then now being the dad that's making some mistakes, you know, they were different, but um, I understand it too and going I, I know there was moments where he apologized. He didn't say he was sorry, but he did it in different ways. And so um, it's interesting to be in, be a kid and see it one way and then go, oh, I, I see him a lot more human than I did as this mythical figure that then yelled at me and screamed, you know. But I think that's what, you know, really got me to, to speak with my kids different. and Because there's a moment where I just want to run from it instead of going head on and going, okay, let's talk about this. And it's hard to say. Yeah, you have to, I have to eat crow. Yeah. Usually Debbie makes me do it. <laughs> she, I think it's a great she, teaching tool for our the Our wives kids. are like, I think we're put on this planet for a specific reason and mine was to calm me down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I couldn't imagine life without my wife. Wow. How was... How was um, you mentioned that um, her father just passed. Is that mm-hmm. how was um, how was that journey for for you to watch her in a place where you know she's losing her her father? Uh, it was tough because uh, she, 
her dad was also a truck driver. And so most of her life, he was on the road, you know, I would say 80% of the time. So in a month, probably gone 20 days or more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was a ton, I think, that she was dealing with that she never got to do as a daughter. Yeah. And then as as he was coming closer to retirement, she, she was looking forward to, I think, seeing her dad quite a bit more. And he was on again, off again with, should I retire? How should I keep going yeah. or not? And, of course, he wants to keep going because he's a, that's all a truck driver knows is yep. provide for yep. Whoever, and he provided for everybody. He gave you the shirt straight off his back, and then go trucking. Yep. And uh, um, I think she felt like there was more she can do, or more time she wanted to spend. But I think we we all feel that. Yeah. And uh, and I tried to support her as much as I could. Just I'm like, this is gonna be hard. Then, um, and of course, she was like, at times she said, "No, I got this. I'll, I'll do it by myself." And uh, in the last day, and I thought, okay, I'll go back to work. So I went to work, and I got went to work for about an hour, and I thought, I didn't want to be by myself. So I told my boss, hey, I, I got a thing I got to go to, and, and I got out. Went, and I'm glad I did. I went with her, supported her, only way I knew how, which is just hold her hand and yeah. sit there. And that's all people need sometimes. Yeah. But... Yeah, um, and the hard part about it was is uh, my mom was pretty close to or tried to be active. So my mom and Debbie had a great relationship, and so we all had to lose a parent again. Yeah, and Joey was a great father-in-law. He was. <laughs> I'm gonna miss one of the things I miss most is every time he went through Beaverton, Idaho, he'd bring me. Uh, horseradish and spicy cheese yes. <laughs> so i'm nice. like man where am i gonna get my spicy cheese yeah, I love so it. every time i eat cheese curds i'm gonna think of joey mm-hmm. um, but that was the type of person was he knew i love cheese and spicy stuff so he'd always bring me cheese or spicy stuff from wherever he was trucking in america and but yeah so the realization comes that struggle for me one of those memories is that for my wife is um, he was outgoing as well with with his grandchildren, all of them, uh, and that's going to be no more. And you got all those things to deal with and to take in, and then in the end, I think you realize that now they can be at peace or or rest and yeah, and and you just have to be okay with that. Yeah, because there ain't no much other options. When they're when you're gone, you're gone. Yep, and hopefully. And her moments of last that I hope she got to say what she wanted to say to her dad and that, that she's at peace with whatever she did say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had, uh, I was, I was there when my, my dad had a heart attack and we did, we had a, had a, I, he just bailed me out of jail <laughs> and it was, uh, it was one of those moments where, you know, we had a very strained relationship and we hadn't. Um, we had a few really bad moments and, but then I think that was the time that he saw me like him because I got no fight over, a, a unpaid pool game. <laughs> Should have got the money on the table, but I didn't. And so it, it, it ended into a, you know, a, an arrest, but 
you know, in the, he asked me to come stay with him. And then I came that night and was going to move in because I had a, had a um, court case to deal with that he was going to help me with. And, um, you know, he, he made me, um, he made me a sandwich. And um, I remember he was saying, he would, you know, he said, Hey, Hey honey, you know, and he called me sweetheart and he called me honey. And he made me, you know, a BLT and he brought it to me and, and, um, he laid down and, and he fell asleep and then he started breathing, you know, strange and I realized he was in a heart attack and so tried to resuscitate him. And then he never, he never came to and, um, you know, went to the hospital, but then he was brain dead. And, and so he never, and I was bitter, man, for a long time because I was so bitter because I was like, that's it. Like you were, you know, terrible to me in these moments. I never saw you. And then, you know, I don't even get to unpack my bags. Um, and so I had a hard time with that. And I, that fueled a lot of my addictions really went, you know, I tried to deal with through drugs and alcohol. But then years later, years later, I had this bitterness for some unsaid things. And then I realized that when he gave me the sandwich was him saying he was sorry when he was calling me sweetheart. Like he didn't address the things that were so heavy between us but then it just I realized finally that oh that was him saying he was sorry and it really gave me a peace you know because at that moment at 21 I was like you're gonna die that's what you're gonna do like you're gonna be nice to me one time and then you're gonna die like that's not fair but then you know like I said later I realized that that was you know for a truck driver and you know a guy that grew up rough and like that was that was his I'm sorry and so it's funny how life goes and you get a little older, you start to see things a little different. You realize you don't know mm-hmm. as much as you thought you did. <laughs> and that, I don't know how old he was, but I was an older generation, obviously, sometimes it was a big thing for them to admit they yeah. were wrong. Oh, yeah. Or maybe not necessarily wrong, but maybe they could have handled it differently. Yeah. See, Absolutely. That's how they probably would have said, I'm sorry, just like yes. that. See, I might, I might be wrong. But I doubt it. Yeah, yeah, you're a hundred percent right. I mean, you know, that was he was, you know, I don't know when he was born in the '30s or '40s. I mean, that was a different time frame. You know, he was driving truck in in the '50s. I think it was when as a teenager, like 13, was driving, and you know, then created what he created through all those years of hard work. So you look at that's just a different kind of mentality of someone that's working from the time they were, you know, a kid, and dad never had a had a vehicle they only had a horse like i mean it's a different era <laughs> prop then there was probably no one that can do his job or run his business better than him yeah regardless if they were doing it better they still weren't doing it his way therefore yeah. it wasn't yeah. right yeah it might have been okay but not perfect. well he my dad had a third grade <laughs> education and then he ended up you know driving truck and then getting his own and then through the years built you know a company that's still going today, you know, 20, shoot, five years plus after his death. And so his legacy you talked about before is intact as far as what he, he did. It's pretty remarkable for someone to come with third grade education and be able to. And when you see your names on those, one of those trailers that go by, does it remind you of your dad every time? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Reminds me of you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, um, yeah, there's a lot of pride in that now more so than before, when I was younger because I realized as a, I realized more as an adult how hard it was 
and how hard that road was and you know to and how very few people do that because you grow up going oh it's my dad of course and then you realize as you go into business and things you're like this is impossible like this is hard like how did you build that Mm -hmm. you know so um yeah much much respect and i do i do have a lot of um when i see that i see the hard work i see the work ethic you know so yeah much much um pride in 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 the jobs that he you know the thousands of people that you know got work through him and through his work so well he bestowed a work ethic upon you that if for anyone to start a company that large is it's amazing and to see how you have not stopped with your journey right now what's funny because yeah you see you see the drive you see that there's things that you know that um are modeled and you just and things in your mindset that you look at and you're like oh that came because uh, not because he sat me down and told me but because you always saw that you always saw somebody that you know worked and and did it the work it was always you know 24 7 with trucks so i mean there was never time you know the phones were always on and and so there was a different accountability to finish stuff whenever there was no nine to five mm-hmm. so any yeah you definitely got work ethic and and um that was something that was modeled and you just saw like all, all my my mom her brothers and then my dad and all his brothers were all had their own businesses so i just grew up around that that they always whenever went to an uncle's he they had a, a business and so they never sat down to talk business with you but you were just used to being around men that did that so later on you realize that's why you think kind of the way you do mm-hmm. you know so yeah so what kind of legacy do you want to leave for your boys hmm <laughs> it's interesting because they're up until recently i've been like my kids are gonna go i want them to go to school and get a college education and and i was like don't be a body man you know well, i make a pretty good living at being a body man but I, I sometimes i think i work too hard physically and then i realized that right now in our economy there's a whole bunch of extremely educated people out there don't have jobs mm-hmm. and so i'm starting to kind of backpedal a bit on my not necessarily be a body man but there's some excellent things that you can accomplish by being a tradesman of some sort whether mm-hmm. it be a welder or electrician or a body man or whatever yeah. so i the legacy i think i would like to leave for them would be through hard work and dedication and whatever you choose to do be good at it and and it can be rewarding. Yeah. So hard work and dedication. And I I really want them to be honest people um, with integrity. Because in my field, there's so many ways you can make money. And there's very few of those ways that you can make money and do it with a good, clear conscience of the product you're giving to people. Yep. And, and so integrity. I want them to do that hard work, integrity, and dedication. That's good. That's good. You know, the rules in my house, we don't lie, we don't steal, we don't cheat, and we don't cut in line because my daughter is a line cutter. <laughs> that one got added at the end. Oh, yeah. That's good. That's good. Well, thanks for coming to talk to me. I want to. I guess we can wrap this up. I'd like to end it with um, maybe uh, your thoughts on Wake Up, Lace Up, and because... 
you know, this is, we, as we talk about all the things about the journey of cancer and, you know, the emotions of it from, from people that, you know, are actually in the seat that are going through the treatment and the ones that are, are watching, you know, for us, you know, we've been blessed to have people come in and, and do things for us that have alleviated stress, you know, from, you know, from all, all different ways. Um, what Wake Up Lace Up did was alleviate a lot of stress when we went, you know, on a road trip to Seattle and you're getting diagnosis and you're talking to doctors with game plan. But it alleviated those extra worries of, you know, how do we do this? How do we do that? And so I can speak to Wake Up Lace Up and, and the legacy that your mom has left and that Cindy is, you know, champion now is when you don't have those stresses you can engage more with those you love so you're not so stressed that you can sit down and play a board game with your son instead of worry about okay i'm going to pay this i'm going to pay that mm -hmm. and so you know i s saw it firsthand when i went to mile city and, and saw the event was it like two years ago now two or three two two mm -hmm. yeah that'd be two and and i felt it and saw it and then like like I said, I was undiagnosed, but realized that was part of my tribe. And then, you know, when when we were helped with that, um, I don't know how many people have been helped through Wake Up Lace Up, but I know it's a ton, hundreds and hundreds, hundreds and hundreds. I think yep. Cindy said over 400, I believe she said and, over 400. And they've, in the last, it was a couple of years ago that I was more specific about the numbers as I was trying to um, solicit people to donate to Wake yeah. Up and Lace Up. And, uh, you know, then they had donated like 200 and some thousand dollars back into the community and surrounding communities. And now it's, I'm thinking it's over 300 and some thousand now that they've just, and it's not going into some money they're giving to someone to go on a shopping spree. Yeah. You know, that, um, fuel cards, um, yep. like people who a lot of these people in, in this community in eastern montana they have to come to billings for most of their treatments some of them can be done in Miles city but the specialists and everything are, yep. are here and uh, so there's hotel vouchers gas cards yep. and with that just to come to billings from Miles city that's like a 200 200 trip or a 300 trip if you gotta stay the night yeah i couldn't imagine having to go to seattle that's yeah. Now we're going to go a thousand miles. Okay. Well, that's, mm -hmm. we just took a two day trip and turned it into a four or five day trip. Figure $250 a day. Holy moly. Okay. That's thousand dollars. That's a lot more. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. I'm just going to say thousand versus 200. That's yeah. got to come out of your operating budget for your home. Mm -hmm. Pays your MDU, the whatever. Maybe there's a dog sitter or something goofy. Yeah. I don't know. All those little, all those little things that now all of a sudden become big things, become a big thing. And, and, and so we, we firsthand have felt that, you know, when, when they helped us with the, the trip to Seattle and, and so the legacy that your mom has left behind, I can speak to what it's like to go. Someone has alleviated that burden and um, it's a beautiful thing. And, and, and that's the reason, you know, we're doing this now is is to direct some attention to the event in March, and um, I can just say from our family to yours, you know, we're very thankful because, you know, it just it's more than money. It's not the money. It's the it what it does is it frees you up to enjoy the moments and the time that you have, and if those are short or if 
or if you or if they're longer either way you get to enjoy moments with family that you didn't before it's kind of cliche but i'll say it live in the moment yeah and if wake up and lace up can help you that moment not be worrying about your mdu bill and more yeah. happy about the silly picture that your kids drew yeah you know because how is it to look at it well that's great and pacify that off you know yep yeah, you can. You can be in the yeah. present when you don't have those burdens and worries. You really yeah. can, and that's that. That's what I took away from it, was how, um, in, how much of an impact that has on on not just the finances but the moments you have with people. And so. even those people that were getting the treatments, how it initially started, for my mom that were, they're in there getting whatever chemo put into their body, and all they can think about is all right i have just enough fuel in my car to get back to mile city yeah. and then what am i gonna do for three weeks yep because i spent all my my extra maybe that's all they have is three or four hundred dollars spent yes. that today so for the next three weeks i guess it's ramen noodles and yeah soup or bread sandwiches or whatever yeah and that's quite literally how some people live and and not necessarily by choice just because yep. doctor bills crazy yes um so but wake up and lace up wants to help people with that and they're happy to do it but it can only be done through people like yourself helping advertise for it people like me helping rally a community together through cutting my hair off and making me look goofy i'm all right with that i'm kind of goofy to begin with yeah um so yeah uh anyone that wants to help can help and it can be just as simple as coming to the event because the uh cover charge if you will is basically you i can't recall if it's five or eight dollars it gets you a hamburger or cheeseburger and gets you into the event and there's yeah. a silent auction some other stuff there um there's a uh, uh, cocktails that are served and generally in the past the waitresses and whatever have donated everything they've made right back into the organization um so it's really just a big event for a fundraising. Yeah. Uh, I was at it last year, and I can't recall what the 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 end up being. I want to say it was in the uh, mid twenties, maybe low twenties, uh, which isn't the best of the years. But and a single night for raising twenty thousand dollars—that's a—that's kind of a big deal. It's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. <laughs> yeah. And yes. That that twenty thousand dollars is going to help. Jeez. Yep. A lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people. Hundreds. Yeah. You know? Yep. Um, well, I'm I'm a big big fan of of wake up lace up. You know, like I said, from coming and seeing the event, but now knowing all the backstory and starting to know, you know, you more, Cindy more families more it's got even a deeper place in my heart so we're we're excited for it and we're gonna we're gonna um hopefully we can attend and um, i like to take my family that's my my hope it all comes down to us with treatments and where we are you know on our schedule with with our journey but um that's my hope but we're definitely um excited for more people to know so thanks for coming and, and sharing thoughts um of your here. mom love that um any last thoughts anything you'd like to to say before we wrap this up stay strong stay positive that's the only way you live your days i think like like your mom would say wake up lace up right wake up and lace up get to it yep well that's perfect thank you for coming i appreciate it and that's a wrap thank you Doug. yes
Thank you.